Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel, chapter 1. Last weekend, our grandsons from Seattle were in for a visit, and uh, one of them loved the sandbox in our backyard. That's what I built it for, was for grandchildren. I try to keep my wife from playing in it, but... There's just one problem, though. Uh, that particular grandson appears to be practicing to go into the earth-moving business because he likes to take handfuls or little shovelfuls of dirt and take them out of the sandbox and deposit them in other places. And Grandpa doesn't like that. <laughs> oh, and so both his dad and I would... Uh, uh, his dad and I would say, put the sand in the sandbox. And he would do one of these. <laughs> kind of like, I'm two, and I don't talk much, and I'm going to play the I don't understand card. <laughs> Obedience is hard. It's hard when you're two, and it's hard for the rest of us. Because obedience always has a cost. And sometimes that cost appears to be very high. I want to take you to the book of Daniel, which happened a long time ago, the events of the book of Daniel, and try to understand about obedience to God even when it looks very expensive. Please follow as I read from Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, and the, of the wine which he drank, and the three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom the, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. 
So he consented with them in this matter, and he tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared fatter, better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and the wine which they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. I want to walk through this story and make sure you catch all the critical points here. And the first is Daniel's position. Daniel was, in our parlance, a prisoner of war. Uh, you know, he was in a great situation, but essentially he was a slave. He did not control his own destiny. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, from what would be today modern-day Iraq, from that area, came over to the nation of Israel and took them, took a number of them, not all of them, but a number of them captive, and took them back to Babylon, essentially to make them puppet, uh, sort of puppet rulers, and to help him rule because there would have been people from Israel also brought over, and to have a Hebrew men on your on your cabinet would have helped that whole process. The uh, Daniel was one of those people. And based on how long he lived and served, from what we read in the Bible and in secular history about the kings, we would understand that Daniel could not have been more than 16 to 17 years old. Because he had another 67 years of service and uh, to, even to live that long into his 80s in that day would have been a tremendously long life. And so here is a teenager. We're talking about a teenager uprooted out of his homeland, not by his own will, but by the will of a foreign king, and taken to a very foreign place with a different language and different culture, and certainly not the worship of the true God. And he's brought there, and that is the position in which we find him. And he's going to be groomed to be a presidential aide. And the grooming is going to involve food and uh, physical enhancement as well as the training that would go on for three years. And no doubt with the training it would have involved language for sure. And it would involve customs and how things work in the Babylonian government. But Daniel had a problem with all of this. And the problem that he had was eating the king's food. Now, I mean, if you can get your mind around it here for just a minute, what was being offered to Daniel was an Ivy League education with a world-class training table. I mean, the king of Babylon was essentially the ruler of the civilized world. Whatever he ate was what these guys were going to eat. It would have been good food, the best available. And the education would have also been the best available. Do you remember... In the time of, of Christ's birth, when wise men came from the east, it was the same place. 
And it was the same school of learning, if you will, that continued on. And Daniel was going to be schooled in this way. It was a wonderful opportunity, but Daniel had a problem. The foods that he would be offered, some of them would have been against the Old Testament law. The other thing that would have been true of these foods is they would have been sacrificed to idols. Now you say, well, what does that mean? Well, what it means, in, in, especially in cultures where they worship idols, they will bring something and set it at the feet of the idol, and that is an offering. And they would do that to get blessing on the food and blessing on the people who would eat the food. And as such, Daniel would be participating in the worship of whatever gods the people of Babylon worshipped, and some of the food that he would be eating would be disallowed by God according to the Old Testament dietary laws. Now, it would appear that the Babylonians took their gods very seriously. Because if you look at verse 10, or excuse me, verse uh, 7, they took away their Jewish names and gave them Babylonian names, which are all based on Babylonian gods. And their previous name, their Jewish names, were all based on the name of Jehovah. And, and don't discount the intelligence of these folks. Um, the Babylonians looked at that and said, well, we can't have these guys called by a name of Jehovah or a connection to Jehovah here where we don't worship Jehovah. So they gave them false names. So they took their God worship seriously. So seriously that we look at verse 10. And when Daniel says, I don't want to eat this certain food, the chief of the eunuchs said, I fear my head to the king. Which means the king wouldn't say, oh, that's fine, he can eat whatever he wants to eat. No, the king would have said, you tell him me, my food isn't good enough for him. And so the chief of the eunuchs said, not only will you lose your head, I will lose my head because the king told me to do this. Because the king thinks that's what's going to be best for you. When the king gives a command, you don't break the command. Did you notice on the wedding invitation, the queen commanded the Lord Chamberlain to send out the invitations? Do you suppose the Lord Chamberlain went back to the queen and said, Now, queen, I think you're making a mistake here. Now, I know the queen of England isn't like the king of Babylon was. But you get the point. When a king says, do this... It's not a request, it's not an invitation, it's not a question, it's a command. And so Daniel is in a spot for Daniel to contemplate disobeying the command of a king was not a small thing. It was a big thing. And here he is a teenager in a foreign land, in a foreign language, in a foreign culture, being asked to do something he doesn't want to do, and he's got to decide, am I going to stand up or give up? And so what we find out is that Daniel's life was guided by a principle. Turn back toward the beginning of your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6. And the word Deuteronomy means a, means a second law, and it's not a second kind of law. It's the second time God gave the law and wanted the whole law to be read. It's a reiteration of the law. And as such, there is the basis of the law and the basis of the life which the people in the Old Testament were to live. 
in Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments he's just given them, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then drop down to uh, verse verse 12. Then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and you shall take oaths in his name. And then go to chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Daniel had a principle that had two sides to it. And the two sides were the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord. He was commanded in Deuteronomy as one of God's people to follow God out of fear and out of love. Now, we, we tend to bristle a little bit at the idea of fearing God because, because we don't see God as the king. We see him as the great buddy in the sky. And so when he speaks, we tend to say, now God, let's have a discussion here. But if the Queen of England can command somebody to send out an invitation, the King of Heaven can make demands on the people he has created. And Daniel understood that. He understood the fear of the Lord, which is God has commanded and I must obey. And he understood the love of the Lord, which is God has delivered and I appreciate it. Both of those were true then and they're both true now. Daniel's life was regulated by the love and fear of God, not by his own desires based in the circumstances in which he found himself at any given moment. So when Daniel is brought face to face with this dilemma, and he said, well, I don't want to eat that food, it wasn't because, ew, I don't like pork. It was because I want to love God, and I want to fear God. And God has said, don't do some things, and God has said, do some things. And if I'm going to live out my faith in him and my love for him and fear for him, I have to obey, even when the cost could be my life. In this moment, that meant Daniel 
would that what this means was that Daniel would not willingly disobey God by eating food which God disallowed. So what did Daniel do? Daniel didn't Daniel didn't do like some of us and, and get a petition drive together. What Daniel did was uh, he uh, he made a plan. He made a plan. Back that up. He made a commitment to obey God. Look at verse eight. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel made a commitment to obey God. Righteous behavior begins with a decision. Have you ever heard this little phrase, not to decide is to decide? For instance, if I were to say, have you believed in Christ as your Savior, you would say, what if you said, "Mm, I'm thinking about it? Well, what it means is, for sure, not now. Okay. What if I came and said, Scott, are you going to lie tomorrow? Of course not. Have you made a decision in your life at some point in which you said, I intend to follow God? Yes. Yes, you have. Okay. Daniel looked at this difficulty and he said, I'm going to follow God. That's his decision. His decision wasn't, well, well, this is really hard. I'm going to have to think about it. I'm going to have to pray about it. No, he knew what was right and he decided, I'm going to do what's right. Job gives us an example of this kind of thinking when he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? At some point in Job's life, he said, I have made a a covenant. I have made an agreement. I will not look in a wrong way at a young woman. Daniel made a commitment to follow God. And as a result of that, though, he comes and says, how can I approach this? I think this is so wonderful because Daniel didn't get up a petition drive. He didn't, he didn't start an insurrection. He didn't get in a fight with the, with the uh, chief of the eunuchs. He said, what can I do? What can I do? And uh, I have no doubt that he prayed about it because if you look in the rest of the book, you find him praying all of the time. But look at verse 10. The chief of the eunuchs came, you know, Daniel said to him, look, I don't want to defile myself. That was just the broad commitment of principle. And the chief of the eunuchs said, here's the problem, Daniel. If you end up looking worse than the other youths, then I'm going to lose my head. In other words, if you don't eat the food that's given to you and you end up looking kind of sickly, I'm going to be in trouble. And so Daniel thought, okay. So there's what I got to work with. And so verse 11, now Daniel's talking to a different man. This man is under the chief of the eunuchs. Maybe the chief of the eunuchs said, no way. And so he goes to the steward, which would have been the, the guy under the eunuch, and he said, now listen, let's put together a test. Let's just go for 10 days. Because, you know, in 10 days, not that much is going to change even if I don't eat this food. So he puts together a test, and he says, let us eat vegetables. Now, what it literally says is, let us eat things that are grown from seeds. So that would have included the whole range of of a vegan diet. It wouldn't have included uh, eggs or cheese or milk. 
but it would have included grains, legumes, all of that kind of stuff. So whatever was available along that way, it wasn't just vegetables. Don't worry, kids. You're not going to just have to eat broccoli the rest of your life to be godly. No. <laughs> he basically said, let us have a, a, a vegan diet. But just for 10 days. And then let's just see what happens. And look what he says to him. Verse 13. And then he says, so at the end of those 10 days, end of that verse, it says, then you just deal with your servants, whatever you think. This is the point at which Daniel really makes the faith jump. And he says, you know, in all of his praying and thinking and discussing, all he can come up with is put us on a vegetarian diet and just see if we don't pull ahead of these other guys in 10 days. He's obviously counting on God. Obviously counting on God. Daniel assumed that because God didn't want him to break the dietary laws, that there must be some way to solve this dilemma, and Daniel was counting on God to do a miracle. And so we find that Daniel was protected by God in this proposal. Look at verse 9. Why was he protected? Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Do you know what that means? That means that God miraculously, maybe through Daniel's behavior, certainly not, certainly Daniel couldn't have been a bad person and mean and so on. He had to have been a decent human being, but God came in and said, Daniel, if you're going to make that decision to do right, I'm going to help you. And so the chief of the eunuchs just liked Daniel. Boy, have you seen that Daniel kid? Man, he is a great kid, isn't he? Boy, I hope he does well. Daniel and his friends were brought into this, and so God gave them favor, and God did what Daniel could not do for himself. Daniel did the best he could to bring together God's law and circumstances and make it work, but God did what Daniel couldn't do. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, God doesn't say he's going to do that every single time, but he, he's saying, look, I, I'm that powerful. What did he do here? He made Daniel gain weight in 10 days on a vegetarian diet. Closest thing to that I've ever heard is, is my wife's in-laws who went on the slim fast diet. And they were eating those shakes, just like it said, eat that shake for lunch and breakfast and lunch. And boy, after a while, they were kind of gaining weight. They, they weren't losing weight. And Sue said... No, you're just drinking the shake and not eating a meal, right? <laughs> oh! <laughs> no miracle there. Daniel gained weight eating a vegan diet. That's a miracle. And it was noticeable in 10 days. That's a miracle. Daniel needed a miracle. And God gave him one. And then the last part of the, that we see is, how did Daniel come out at the end of three years? You know, what this says is, and, and here's a little point, by the way. Daniel talked himself into a vegan diet for three years. That's the cost of obedience. You see, he, 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 he survived 
He didn't lose his head. He didn't break God's law. And at the end of the time, he was ten times better than everybody. But for three years, he had a vegan diet. Sometimes obedience costs us in the long term and in the short term. But look at the payoff. Uh, uh, Verse 20, And in all manners of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better, not than their class, ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all of his realm. He didn't graduate magna cum laude. He graduated and went right to the head of the king's advisors. And this little postscript is added, verse 21, so Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel lasted through several different kingdoms, not just kings, because he honored God and God helped him in exchange. Now, what are some principles we can learn from Daniel's experience with God? The first one is this. A difficult position is an opportunity for a miracle, not an excuse for a compromise. I can, I can hear contemporary Christians, if they got into Daniel's situation, saying these kind of things. I just know God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. I've heard it. A difficult position creates a temptation to compromise God's truth because of what we want, not because of what God wants. Do you think Daniel was happy in the end of this? Oh, man, here I am, the top advisor to the king. How did that happen? But it required sacrifice along the way. I could hear a contemporary Christian saying this, Surely God wouldn't want me to be in danger. You just don't understand how bad my position is, Pastor Dave. You don't understand my circumstances are way worse than you can imagine. Are they worse than Daniel's? You see, when you compromise God's truth because you're trying to get rid of a hard circumstance, you're also losing the opportunity to see a miracle. There's a lot of people talk about miracles today and, oh, come on down to the front and we'll lay our hands on and we'll hit you on the front of the head and you'll fall down and zoom, you're going to be something. But the real miracles God wants to do are the miracles that come when we say, God, I'm going to obey you even though it's expensive. I'm going to stand up and talk about Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Africa even though it's 125 degrees, whatever. I'm going to go even though it's expensive. And then God comes in after we make that faith decision and He makes things happen in us and through us and around us. That's the kind of miracles that are real and genuine that God wants to do. But when we get so consumed with making our circumstances comfortable, we toss away the opportunity for a miracle. The very thing that would enliven our Christianity and help us to go, Oh, I am so excited about God, I want to keep going with Him. We throw it away because we want to be comfortable. I talked with one of our missionaries this week, and I won't tell you who or where because this is recorded and it's put on a radio station that's played around the world by people who don't like Christianity. The radio station is actually listened to by people of another faith. That's really an interesting thing. 
But I talked to one of our missionaries who is in a place, who ministers to people in a place where they hate Christ. And he was at a conference in another country. And while they were there, there were people from another country that hates the Lord. And they said, we want to get baptized. And to have an open baptism in this country would endanger you of going to jail there. And for these people to get baptized in the country they came from would definitely endanger their head there. And they said, we want to get baptized. I know I could die for it when I get home, but I want to get baptized. And they literally had an underground baptism. A guy says, I know a cave where there's a lake. And they all went, and they got baptized. And my friend, our missionary, says, you know, we've forgotten that in the Scripture and in the first century experience, it was normal to suffer for Christ and to even expect to die. We've gotten a hold of our whole I have rights and freedoms and so on, and we've transposed that onto the Scripture so that when we, we get into a difficult spot, we think, oh, I have to run away from that. i got to get away from that because I might suffer. Daniel suffered, and Daniel struggled, and there were some real struggles throughout his life, but Daniel was blessed by God because he did not compromise God's truth. At some point, you have to decide if God is really powerful enough to take care of you no matter what the situation is. You have to decide if that's true. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have to not make excuses for our sin because our position is hard. We have to trust God for a miracle. The second principle we can learn from Daniel's experience is this. A blessed life is built on principle, not pragmatism. Pragmatism is doing whatever works without regard to other concerns. Principle is doing what is right without regard to the consequences. Daniel was a prisoner of war, a captive, a foreigner in a land where he didn't speak the language or understand the customs. He was a teenager. By the time he graduated, he might have been 20. And considered to be the smartest guy in all of Babylon and the advisor to the king, there was excitement, the excitement of power and influence. And when this plan was being developed, before Daniel stood up, there would have been a temptation to say, you know, We're going to become the king's advisors. Don't you think we should just kind of go along with this? Because when we get done after three years, we will be the advisors to the king, and then we can do things for the Lord. Do you know what that's called? That's called the end justifies the means. I'm going to break God's law because I think what will happen in the end is God will be glorified. We don't ever say it that way. There was the excitement of power and influence. If we just go along with this plan, we'll become the shakers and movers. As though God needs your help so badly that he will wink at your sin to get what you can give him. Daniel's principle was to live in the love and the fear of God. Ours is supposed to be the same thing. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
And then Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God gives us a two-sided motivation, a two-sided principle. Love the Lord, fear the Lord. And Christ said, he who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Love for God is defined by obedience. And what is the base command? The base command is right here. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. If you want to fear God and love God, you need to believe in Christ as your Savior. And if we, if we look, we can look at God two ways that way. We can look at it and say, I'm going to love God, I'm going to believe in Christ, because Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. So I'm going to love him for that sacrifice. We can also look at it and say, I'm going to fear God, because if I don't believe in Christ, he will send me to hell. And we ought to be motivated by both. And once we become believers in Christ, we also should look at God through love and fear. We should appreciate our salvation so much that we say, I'm going to obey God's commands. But we also should fear God's chastening, which comes when we are disobedient. Either way, we should be walking with Christ, not choosing what we can see as the easiest path to walk on. There's a third principle, and it's this. The progress God brings to life will be better than anything we can create. What did Daniel expect to achieve by his obedience to God? Do you think Daniel ever in his wildest dreams said, You know, guys, I think if we just eat vegetables and water, we'll become the top advisors to the king. You know, I think all that Daniel expected to do was to not lose his head and not have to disobey God. He just expected, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to create a path of righteousness here. You know, Here's man's law, here's God's law. How can I bring it together in a righteous way? And I think all he expected to do was to, was to live righteously for God. And, and so that's, he just said, how can I do it? And he started walking that way. And before you know it, God said, hey, Daniel, I have something for you. Boom! He became wise, <laughs> and God went even beyond what we would call human wisdom and gave him a spiritual ability to interpret things that only God could allow him to interpret. <sighs> could he possibly thought of stand, that standing up for the godly life would bring him into this position? I don't think so. That's why I have this little phrase on a little placard in my office. Let God have your life. He can do more, more with it than you can. You know, as simplistic as that is, it bears thinking about, do I really think that way? And if I really did think that way, what changes would I make in my life? Or do I, you know, would I be honest enough to say, God, I'm sorry, I know you have a plan, I know you have a way, but I'm, you just don't understand this circumstance. At some point, and at many points, we have to decide if this verse is true. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
we need to approach our Christian life by saying, it's okay to deny myself. It's okay not to get to have M&Ms every day. It is. It is because what God wants to give us for our obedience is better than anything we can imagine. But it's expensive. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That's expensive. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Could it be that our efforts to find the life that we think is best are doomed, but the expensive life of obedience brings us to a point of really knowing who God wants us to be and and finding those things He wants to do for us? And could it be that we would come to a life where we look back and say, man, I'm glad I didn't walk that way. I think that's what God is telling us. He's saying, I have a life for you. It may be what you envision, it may not be, but it will be the best life you can possibly have. Not everyone is going to become a world shaper like Daniel. God doesn't promise that. But God does promise that those who obey Christ will accomplish more than they ever thought possible for God. (sighs) Last week I told you that the engine light was on in the rev wagon. So I had made an appointment to go in and be fleeced by the Dodge dealer. I mean to get the car fixed. I had a coupon. $39.95 to get the engine light diagnosed. And when I went in, right off the bat, they go, Oh, well, you might want to use this other coupon we have for $79.95 because that one, to paraphrase, only tells half the story. The rest of the diagnosis will cost you another 40 bucks." <laughs> Just kick me. Just kick me right now. And then just keep kicking me the whole time my car is here, will you? But of course, on the day that I went to the appointment, the engine light went off. So you know what that means. That means they're going to skulk around in your car until you've burned up a couple hundred bucks and just try to find out what's wrong. But thankfully, with the new computers and all that technology, they can see what's been going on even though the engine light isn't on. And it was a, a diddly little thing. It was a thermostat. The thermostat was kind of sticking, kind of not sticking, off and on, off and on. Of course, it's a diddly little thing, but it cost you 200 bucks to get it fixed. Now, I could have kept driving the car. Who knows how long? Thermostat works, thermostat doesn't work. Didn't seem to be impeding the working of the car. But you know when it would have not worked big time, right? On one of those rare <laughs> 80 degree days, and I'm driving down the freeway, and the thing would have went, bah! and the red lights would have come on, and all the water would have spewed out of the engine. See, we don't think our self-protection is a disabling feature to our Christianity. But it is. God's call to obedience involves risk. But when we put ourselves on Him, the risks just become new ways of inviting His care. Heavenly Father, help us. We like comfort. We like ease. We like to know where everything's coming out. 
and you want us to walk by faith, and you want to do miracles when we take risks for you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be obedient children, even when it's challenging, like Daniel was. May you be honored by our obedience. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.